everyone says, oh, you were so fortunate to be working with Walmart. And they're right. I am. I'm, I'm forever grateful to Walmart. But starting off with the big guy on the block is very challenging because there's more things that are required. There's insurance, which is incredibly expensive. And you have to have warehousing, which is also incredibly expensive. You got to have someone to ship the dolls from China to the US, incredibly expensive. And all of them require a level of expertise when at the time I was working by myself and I didn't have all of those levels of expertise. Like I said, I was just driven to do it. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 143 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for their business success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories, and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Dr. Lisa Williams, who's the CEO of World of EPI. Her company manufactures multicultural dolls with custom blended skin tones and authentic facial features. They can be found on shelves at Walmart, Amazon, Macy's, Target, and Walgreens. Dr. Lisa was a professor at the height of her career when she left her job and cashed in her 401k to create her first line of dolls. During our conversation, she shares how she went from an idea to having multiple product lines on shelves. We talked about her manufacturing process, how she approaches marketing, innovation, and growing her market share. Before we hear the rest of Dr. Lisa's episode, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help to spread the word about our show so amazing stories like Dr. Lisa's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with the CEO of World of EPI, Dr. Lisa Williams. Dr. Lisa Williams, welcome to She's Offscript. Thank you for being here. Oh, my pleasure. For anyone who's listening who hasn't heard of you, could you share who you are and what you do? (laughs) You're so sweet. I'm Dr. Lisa Williams. I'm the creator and founder of the World of EPI and recreate multiple lines of multicultural dolls from the fresh dolls to Positively Perfect to our boy dolls, which are Fresh Squad. I know you were a professor who rose to the highest ranks in your field. Why did you decide to go off script and start a business in the toy industry? Well, you know what? It was totally off script. You named it. Listen, I was blessed enough to be the first African-American to graduate with a PhD from the Ohio State University. And then I was blessed enough to become ultimately the highest ranking professor in my field. Male, woman, yellow, green, purple. I was the highest ranking. And I had not one, but two multi-million dollar endowed chairs. So life was good. Yes. (laughs) And I was just sitting home one afternoon watching television, kind of mindlessly watching television. And there was a study, an updated doll study. Now, we all know the original doll study of the 1950s and 60s, where they asked beautiful Black children, which doll do they want to play with? And virtually all of them said the white doll. So now they're doing an updated study on CNN, and I'm watching it. And I'm really, like I said, mindlessly watching it, knowing it's going to be different now. Because at this time, we had the first lady in the White House. We were African-Americans, and people of color were on the magazines and industry. So I'm like, this is going to be so different. But I was shocked when this beautiful black little girl, chocolate skin little girl said she wanted to play with the white doll. But then I was heartbroken and still I am today when she explained why. And she said, because the black doll skin was nasty. 
And then she went on to touch her own hand as to indicate that her skin was nasty. See, it still breaks my heart. It still breaks my heart because if we have a child, any child, but to think that they're less than or they're now beautiful and they're now brilliant, that's a problem. It's a problem for her. It limits her opportunities in life. It limits her family. It limits her community. And it limits society. And so I was sitting there and I said, this can't happen on your watch. So that day I made a decision that I was going to create a line of multicultural dolls that reflected the beauty and the brilliance of children of color. Oh my goodness. And I've seen that study before and it was heartbreaking then. And for some reason, I feel like it's a weed that grows in the minds of our kids. I don't know what other analogy to use, but you kind of constantly have to work on stamping out that negative line of thought within the kids. And I love that you have a line of dolls to help us do that. I am a mom of two little girls, so absolutely I find that having dolls, it's a very helpful way to do that, to reinforce their positive thinking. I mean, what we want to do is create a toolkit, right, for parents like you that want to raise powerful, empowered children so that you can come to us and say, hey, I have a child that's this skin tone with these eyes and this hair color texture, and Will's like, oh, we got the perfect doll for you, or we got the perfect book for you, or we got the perfect accessories. We want to be that toolkit for parents to raise empowered, conscious, beautiful kids. So today, those dolls that you created are now in Walmart, Amazon, Macy's, Target, Walgreens, you're all over, but they initially started in Walmart, is that right? That is correct. How did you initially build your relationship with Walmart? Because you started out with books in Walmart. So I started out with books. As I said, I ended up being the highest ranking professor in my field. Before I took a position at the University of Arkansas, I said, no, I won't go to the South. <laughs> I'm from the North. And at that time, I was a divorced mom of a two and a half year old little boy. And I was really apprehensive about living in the South alone. And I said, I'm not going to make that move and leave my family. But then they offered me, as a godfather would say, an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> so I went to University of Arkansas, and that's where I got my first multi-million dollar endowed chair, and it was funded by Walmart. And so I had the opportunity to connect with some of the Walmart executives, and in doing so, did a research study with Walmart. And from there, I wrote a book called Leading Beyond Excellence. Walmart called and asked me if I would allow them to have the book in their store. I was like, Oh, yeah, <laughs> you can. And then from there, they said, hey, we think you understand how to tell stories. Would you be open to writing a line of children's books? And initially, I actually said no, because I was a college professor. I taught, you know, MBAs and graduate students and business executives. I didn't understand children's literature. But I figured it was an incredible opportunity to represent children of color in a positive light, with whole complete families, with multi-generational families, to show all ethnicities. So there was African-Americans and Latinas and Caucasians and Asians, and the books did very well. So when they came and said, would you do a line of dolls? I initially said no, until I saw the little girl on television. Then I said yes. And then I started on this journey of figuring out how to do it without any money, any knowledge, any mentoring. I had none of that. But what I had was a really strong passion in my heart to make sure that that little girl I saw on television had a doll that reflected who she really was. Hmm. Okay, so Walmart asked you to translate the characters in the book you wrote into dolls. What was your first step once you agreed to do that? I thought you were going to ask me what was my first reaction because my first reaction was like, no. <laughs> 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 I know nothing about doing dolls. But 
ultimately, as I said, I saw the little girl that changed my perspective. And then the first thing was to find a factory. And I know that sounds simple, but unfortunately, there are no factories in the United States that produces the dolls. So we had to go abroad. And I literally Googled companies. The Walmart was kind of to give me some list. And then I, in my naivety, I just booked a flight to China and flew over there to meet with a factory. I would not necessarily advise that, but I was so driven to make sure that this little girl had an authentic doll. I really wasn't thinking that this is dangerous. You are in a foreign country without anyone. Your cell phone doesn't work. You can't tell people where you are. You're in a car with strange men. You do not know. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the definition of going all in. Yes, 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 yes. You get to Hong Kong. So you find a factory that's willing to work with you and you ask them to create unique molds. I understand that that can be fairly expensive. How were you able to finance that? It was incredibly expensive. And like most entrepreneurs, I financed it by using my retirement. I financed it by using the equity in my home, my credit cards, and ultimately friends and family. Mm. So when it came to actually building the dolls and then delivering them to Walmart, what were the challenges that you faced? Oh, there are so many challenges. Everyone says, oh, you were so fortunate to be working with Walmart. And they're right. I'm forever grateful to Walmart. But starting off with the big guy on the block is very challenging because there's more things that are required. There's insurance, which is incredibly expensive. And you have to have warehousing, which is also incredibly expensive. You got to have someone to ship the dolls from China to the U.S. Incredibly expensive. And all of them require a level of expertise when at the time I was working by myself and I didn't have all those levels of expertise. Like I said, I was just driven to do it. So it was a little bit more challenging than creating a couple of dolls and selling them like to the local store and starting and building your company. Unfortunately, or fortunately, that wasn't the path that was afforded to me. It was starting off on the big end. You jumped into the deep end of the pool. And I wonder if that is just really as a result of the fact that you had reached the pinnacle of your career. And so for you, anything you do, you probably want to do at that level as well. So you're just like, okay, I'll take on the challenge. That's exactly it. I'll take on the challenge. And I'll tell you, I have a belief system that if there's something that I can absolutely see how I can do it, if I have a dream that I can figure it out, then that dream is not big enough. I have to believe that there's going to be a power and an energy that's going to support me and provide the answers to things that I don't know. Because again, if I can figure it out, then it's a small dream. And we only live once. And I always want my legacy to be that I did the best I can and I try to live my life to the fullest. And so I do take on big challenges. And that doesn't mean they always succeed. Let me be really clear. That doesn't mean they always succeed, but it does mean that I'm always going to give it my best and I'm always going to try. I'm never going to go small in because small in gives small returns on the other side. So yeah, no, I go big <laughs> to the apprehension of my family sometimes. So at that point, you said there was a sequence of events that you had to go through. And at every step, this was like a mountain you were looking to climb. When it came to deciding on, okay, I found a manufacturer, you came back from China, you had a manufacturer in hand. What was the back and forth like? Because I can imagine that you had to go back and forth on the molds that you created, the samples that they were sending, because you have custom skin color, custom kind of facial features like we have as Black people. So what did that back and forth look like to you or for you? It was very interesting. 
actually it was an education for the factory because they were so used to doing, for lack of a better phrase, like cookie cutter dolls when it came to iPod dolls, you know, dolls for black and brown children of color. So I had to say, no, 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 not that brown. Let's throw that out. Let me blend you some colors <laughs> and match this, okay? No, I don't want that, that sculpt that's very successful with European features. It's a beautiful sculpt, but it doesn't represent the children that I'm trying to represent. So we got to start over. And I literally started out with a sketch. And then it was looking at beautiful children. I mean, I really do look at them. And I said, oh my God, I love her eyes. I love her cheeks. I love her lips. I love her nose. You know, And then I kind of put it together as some unique, beautiful representation of children of that particular ethnicity. Were you working with an artist on this end who created the 3D renderings for you that you sent to the factory? Or were you literally collaging eyes and sticking them on a paper? Great question. So the very, very first one, we worked from the illustrations that were in the book. So I had an artist who I still work with today, who's incredibly gifted. I worked with her. Her name is Lori. I worked with Lori and we worked from the illustrations in the book tweaking, you know, because a flat illustration on a book is very different than a 3D, you know, doll that you're going to actually end up playing with. So the skin tones are different, et cetera. But we started from there. And then I would, exactly as I said, I would find eyes of a child. And I said, oh, but let's change eyes to look like this. So let's make them a little closer. Let's pull them further apart. So yeah, it was truly an organic and ever-changing work of art. Even when it got to the mold, I would still make changes to that. I made changes until the very end, until they said, stop, <laughs> no more, or you're not going to meet your deadline. Because I'm a perfectionist too. So I wanted to make sure that it was spot on and perfect. Okay, so then now they manufacture it and they ship it. I know that shipping process is also something that new entrepreneurs need to contend with and figure out logistically. How did that work for you? Shipping is very challenging. We had to hire a company that helped us with the international freight forwarders. Now, I do have a PhD in logistics, so that helped on some level. I understood the pieces but I will be honest with you, it is one thing to study it, research it, write about it, and it's a whole nother thing to actually do it. So I still had a learning curve. But yeah, I work with the factory. So the factory manufactures the product. Ultimately, I approve it. And then they prepare it, box it up in cases, leave it at the port in Yintian. And then the retailers, in my case, would pick the goods up from the port in Yintian and bring it into their warehouses. We have an online site, so that's a different business model. And in that business model, we are actually being the shipper of record. And we are actually picking up those products from the port and bringing it into our warehouse and selling it on our website. Now, as a Black woman doing business in Asia, did you find that there were a unique set of challenges that came along with that? Oh, absolutely. And it's their unique challenges. So when I arrived in Hong Kong for the first time, people just stopped. I was a rarity for them. I remember being in a store and the person was sweeping the floor. And when I walked in, they literally stopped like a mannequin and just looked at me from every until I walked out of their frame. And it's not, <laughs> and it's not from a racial perspective or, you know, racism or anything like that. They rarely see African-Americans 
in the remote villages that I have to go to or get to go to to manufacture the dolls. So yeah, I'm an oddity for sure for them. So now fast forward, you're on the shelves of Walmart. When it comes to making then that next leap to the next retailer, did you find that it was a little bit easier given that you already had established credibility? Yes. The first time is always the hardest. Once we got on the shelf at Walmart, actually what happened is that I didn't even have to go out to other retailers. They found us. Once we were on the shelf at Walmart, then the other retail targets and all of they found us and then they would reach out and say, hey, would you guys sell product to us? And so I obviously was joyful to do that. Mm, but once you're in, it is also a challenge to remain relevant and to maintain the shelf space. So how do you as a brand continue to defend the space that has been allotted to you? Oh my God, that's such a brilliant question. And it's a tough one because you're right. Once you get the space, it's almost, and I know people think this is like maybe crazy. It's actually easier to get the space than to keep the space because they'll be willing to give you a chance because it's something new. So let's like, they'll try it. But the challenge is how do you, as the manufacturer, do what you need to do to get the product off the shelf, to get people to go into Walmart and to make a purchase of your product. That is challenging. And we do it by continuing to tell people that we're here. Like you said, we stay relevant, meaning I'm always looking for new ethnicities. I'm always looking for new custom blended skin tones, new hairstyles, new fashions. And I'm always wanting to expand our brand, expand our ethnicities, but also our accessories. So always staying fresh, if you don't mind the pun. I like it. I like it. But also, at a certain point, I have to wonder if there's a diminishing return to adding multiple lines or multiple variations of your dolls. So from a business perspective, how do you think about that? Because if you're a Mattel, for example, you have the cash to sink into a loss leading brand or a loss leading line. How do you as a smaller business think through that? That's a real question because you're right. At a certain point, some of the things that I want to do, there is a diminishing returns in terms of profit. The thing about why we're here and why we exist, and by the way, that's how I make all of my decisions, really. I mean, financial, yes, but it really is why. I'm always asking myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because when I'm very clear on my why, then making the decisions becomes easier. So for me, it is always creating something fresh, relevant, powerful, and beautiful and authentic for children of color. So that's my why. So given that that's my why, when it comes to making a different ethnicity that may not be as large or may not be as popular, I am still very, very likely to invest in that because my why is to produce as many dolls representing beauty of different ethnicities. All the time, my decisions are not based purely on finances because I do make those decisions because that's my why. But on the area of finances, obviously to stay in business and to be able to provide products for children and adults, I do have to make a profit. There is a balancing act. And usually I will stick with our core characters, which sometimes I move in and out, but we stick with our core characters that are very popular. And then I'll add other ethnicities that I just think need to be represented that aren't, that may not necessarily be a large population, but they need to be represented in dolls too. And so that's how I do the balancing act. So it's financial. And it's hard. So I'll ask you this question from two different perspectives. You've been in business. Is it how many years have you been in business? Is it 14 years? Oh, my goodness. You're dating me. But yeah. <laughs> yes, just to show that you're not new to this and you've seen and probably gone through quite a few iterations as you're growing your business. And you are still here, even given the past couple of years we've had as a global economy. So 
when I ask you this question, I'm just curious really about the evolution from the heart perspective. Have you seen an impact on the children that you're serving as a part of your why as you see them play with the dolls that you have? And then from more of a a business numbers perspective, have you seen the kind of growth you were hoping to see when you first started this business? Oh, great questions. Okay, so in regards to the heart, yes, I get to see them. I actually try to go out and do a tour. And so I actually literally try to visit the Walmart stores around the country and interact with the children because I love hugs from our fresh family. That's what we're called, the fresh family. So I love that. So I get to see firsthand, not just the children, which, I mean, seeing a child run towards your doll and say, mommy, mommy, she looks just like me. There's nothing like that feeling, nothing, except when you see her mother or her aunt or her grandmother come up to you, I'm about to cry again, with tears in their eyes, thanking you, thanking you for what you do. I mean, literally, I'm not talking about a little tear here. I'm talking about tear stain, just thanking us for what we do because they recognize how hard it is. So that's why I get up every morning because it's not easy. So let me just be very frank, being, you know, the largest multicultural toy company, you think, oh, this is awesome. Yes, it is. And it's also incredibly hard because we are competing with very large brands that have, you know, boards and investors and publicly, and we are none of that. We are still a small company, uh, still investing, but becoming profitable. So it's still very much driven by our heart. And then the other question you asked about was a growth. Just a business growth perspective. Yes, from a numbers and profit perspective. We are doing so well recently. You know, I give so much credit to the young people who are out there standing and marching and protesting and standing for a cause of equality because it's making a difference. I am noticing that corporations are becoming more attentive and in tune, and we're getting calls from other companies, other retailers, not just here in the U.S., but around the world that are warning our dolls. So yes, the change that we're seeing in society is being reflected by our sales that we're seeing in the dolls. So what's next for you? What else can we expect from you as far as the goals that you have for making an impact and growing your business? Oh my gosh, we want to get more into entertainment actually, because there's so many things that are on television and I would like to see our children also reflected in television. I'd like to see our children have sacred spaces. And what I mean by that is when they wake in the morning that they're looking at a comforter that has an image that looks like them. They go and take their shower and on the shower curtain is an image that looks like them. On their toothpaste is a toothpaste picture that looks like them. Oh, that would be amazing. I just want them to have a sacred space so that everywhere they look 360 degrees, they see a beautiful face that looks like them reflected back to them. So they really know that they are unstoppable and there's nothing they cannot do and achieve. That's what I want to do. Oh, wow. In particular, when you said entertainment, when it comes to the cartoons and the shows that they watch, that has such a big influence on our kids. And even today, as diverse as they try to make them, unfortunately, the illustration molds, so to speak, are very Caucasian with brown skin thrown on them, right? So to get the true representation, I think, is going to have such a great impact when what they see is reflective of who they are in a positive light. So what is it going to take for you to get there? 
continued support from a wonderful, amazing people like you that continue to get the message out from the support of our loving, fresh family members, just for my creativity to continue to expand. I'm so passionate about this that to me, there is absolutely zero limit to what this company can do because it's not just me. That's the whole thing. It's not just me. Not only do I have a small team of people who work with me, but it's the larger community. It's that mom, so about to cry again. It's that mom that comes up to me with tears in her eyes, thanking us. It's the people who post our pictures on social media. It's the people that say, we're praying for you. That's how we continue to grow and to expand. And there's no limit to that. We say that we're a global movement because we want to empower all children of all ethnicities, all skin tones, all eye colors and hair textures to know who they are and how powerful they are. So you mentioned that you have a small team. Could you give us an idea of who are the key or pivotal players on your team? Because if we're looking to grow businesses like yours that have the staying power of yours, what kind of a team do we need to build? First of all, as the entrepreneur, what you have to have is a vision and a mission. You have to know, again, you have to know why you're doing what you're doing. So when you are very passionate and you know why, and all entrepreneurs are, when you know why what you're doing, then you know who are the people that need to support that vision. Right. So there's going to have to be an operations person. There's going to have to be a finance person. There's going to have to be someone that helps the creative vision. There's going to have to be a marketing person. So all of these people are all these functions are what we need. And that's how we grow our company by having every person have expertise in their particular area. And we all work together as a team to make sure that these children continue to get these dolls. Now, for everyone listening that's eager to support your vision and see it really get to the level where you envision it, where can we find you? You can find us at thefreshdolls.com. And I'm on Instagram at the Dr. Lisa. So at the Dr. Lisa on Instagram. Well, Dr. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's so inspirational. And I'm looking forward to seeing how you take the fresh dolls and your company to the next level. Thank you so much. This was such an amazing opportunity to talk to you. Such an honor. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you found this show helpful, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript. Or you can catch up on past episodes at She'sOffscript.com. All right, with that, we'll see you right back here next Thursday for another episode. Bye.